And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to the second best day of the week of The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Michael Leibowitz joining me this morning to talk all about the Federal Reserve Jackson Hole right around the corner actually starts. Actually, it kicks off today, and of course, we'll be getting you know a lot of uh, commentary out from the media about what they're saying, what they're thinking, all this type of stuff. So today, tomorrow, Saturday, it's going to be a, a big uh, media fest over what's happening at Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Of course, this is you know where all the as we've said the last couple of days, this is that annual central banker confab so everybody comes in from all around the world you know the ecb the bank of england everybody shows up to rub elbows with other central bankers um you know and dictate policy for the entire world so, i mean how good can it be and you're in jacksonville which is even better and this time of year it's pretty awesome there so uh, good for them a um, couple of things though that we've got to get into this morning of course is 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 really the big question right is is the fed going to pivot? That's the big question, right? Interesting article out this morning in the Wall Street Journal basically saying, look, there's, there are signs that this current pace of inflation may be a whole lot stickier than people think, which could keep the Fed a, a bit more aggressive here. Now, the one reason we've had this nice rally in the markets over the last nine weeks has been because of this idea that the Fed may be very close to a pivot, right? They're going to change their monetary policy. They're going to slow down. Well, actually, they're going to pause their rate hikes. That, that was the whole premise of this. Because remember, the market for the last 12 years is all driven by the Fed. We talked about yesterday, you know, nobody cares about fundamentals anymore. Cheap stocks, pff, what's the Fed doing? Is the Fed liquefying a balance sheet or are they not? I mean, that's the whole question. And so now the whole movement of this market has been predicated on this idea that the Fed, despite the fact they've really just started raising interest rates, are now going to stop. And that we're close to peak inflation and it's all going to be okay. And we're going to go back to the days of yore where we had zero interest rates and QE of $100 billion a month. And there is no indication of that whatsoever. So that's going to really put a different dynamic on markets. Now, this morning, futures are pointing up here, and that's not surprising. Again, we talked about yesterday, markets had gone back to oversold conditions very rapidly. It was a very sharp drop in, in markets over the uh, Friday and Monday, and that just plunged these overbought conditions we had right back into oversold. We said yesterday that a rally in the markets here, a little bounce, wouldn't be surprising. A lot of resistance here, right at 41.60 on the S&P 500. That's where the 20-day moving average is. And that's also importantly where these previous bottoms were back in when Russia invaded Ukraine. Also these tops and bottoms that we were wrestling with back in, in May and early June, of course, that was really kind of setting the precedent for those lower lows into July where the markets finally found a bottom and mustered a bit of a mustered this rally but now we're right back to that previous level of resistance that we have been really just struggling with all year long 
That previous support that we had post the Ukrainian invasion, that gave way, and now that's been resistance this entire time. Got a little bit above that, thought we were going to get a move higher. Markets fell back below that, that support level now, back to resistance. And so we'll see how the markets do today. But again, a rally back towards 4160 would not be surprising. Dow looking to open up about 100 points this morning, not real strong. A couple of reports out last night, NVIDIA um, actually talking about weaker gaming sales. Uh, not surprising here because, again, a lot of people ran out and they bought computers because they got $1,500 checks in the mail. So, when, you know, when I get new, you know, $1,500, I need a new gaming computer. I go out and buy it. It's got NVIDIA cards in it. So not surprising, weaker demand in, in the gaming sector of the market is people, A, have to go back to work, so they don't have time to, to game anymore. But B, you know, they've already bought equipment. So that whole kind of surge, you know, this is that, that, that bullwhip effect that we've talked about before where, you know, you created a whole bunch of demand by giving people money. Now you've got to go through a period of time because you pulled forward a lot of demand for PCs that, you know, now we've got to kind of go through a period where you have slower PC sales and eventually you kind of get pent-up demand again and then the, the next thing goes. So what the uh, NVIDIA was saying yesterday about their demand is they expect kind of weaker demand through the rest of this year. Not surprising as, again, just kind of going through that bullwhip effect of, you know, a demand supply pull caused by all of this money that was injected into the system. So there, there you go. Uh, yesterday, uh, we talked about this on the show briefly yesterday with Danny Ratliff. Uh, of course, yesterday, President Biden signed into law. Well, I shouldn't say signed into law. He passed an executive order. <laughs> uh, very big difference. Um, passed an executive order for giving $10,000 of student loan debt and $20,000 of Pell Grant debt uh, to student borrowers. Of course, you know, as we talked about yesterday, what about all the people that paid off their student loans, right? What do they get? Um, and also this sets up a bad problem here going forward. Two things that we talked about yesterday, of course, is that once you do this, you know, what about the next group of borrowers? And now there's an expectation of student loan borrowers that, well, if they borrow money, it's going to get forgiven at some point. The, the good news, bad news is, is the good news is we talked about yesterday that normally student loan, uh, when debt is forgiven, it comes a taxable event. Uh, the government has passed this as a non-taxable event. So they'll get the ten, you, students will get their $10,000 of student loan forgiveness on a non-taxable basis. Now they'll still have to pay uh, state income tax on that forgiven debt, but the federal debt level has been forgiven. Um, but also this is gonna set up a problem going forward as universities go, well, guess what? If the government's going to give, you know, student loan debt forgiveness, I'll just raise my tuition some more. <laughs> so, you know, this isn't going to help the inflation and in in, uh, tuition costs. It's actually going to exacerbate it. But this is the problem that we always get when, you know, government tries to interfere and stuff. And again, it sounds great that we're going to forgive all this debt. Everybody's very happy about getting free money. But A, it only helps those in the higher income tax and higher income brackets mostly. And for most students that have, you know, a, a lot of debt, which is the big problem, right? We have a lot of students and a lot of debt. Well, they've been on moratorium now for two years. Well, just because you don't have to pay your principal payments doesn't mean that your interest isn't still stacking up. So for a lot of these student loan borrowers, the $10,000 of debt forgiveness is barely going to cover the interest that's built up. So they're not really going to wind up in a much better position, you know, going forward. But again, this is just that, you know, trying to buy votes in time for the election. Again, you know, it's going to cause tuition costs to go up. 
more inflationary pressures in the economy. This is and this is the problem. Whenever we get into giving out free money or doing these type of things, it creates inflation on the other side. Because again, when you start giving people free money, everybody else is going to raise their costs. It's just basic economics. And so. Anyway, a lot of stuff to get into this morning. As I said, uh, we know markets should rally a little bit today. As we've talked about the last couple of days, you know, these rallies have been very weak at best. Going to run into a lot of resistance here today. We'll see how markets do uh, out of the gate this morning. Again, wouldn't surprise me to see another kind of sloppy day of trading as we kind of, everybody just kind of is waiting right now for what's going to come out of Jackson Hole. But when we come back from the break, um, Fed President Bostic out this morning with comments about inflation and Fed policy and what might start be it might start being some of the commentary that we're getting out of Jackson Hole. We'll pick up on that with Michael Leibowitz right after the break. Be sure you're by the website this morning. New blog post out from Richard Rosso this morning. Uh, lessons learned for the Bank of Mom and Dad. Of course, everybody that has kids knows the Bank of Mom and Dad. That's on the that's on the website now. Uh, also, we've revamped our front page as well at realinvestmentadvice.com. Go check it out. I think you'll like it. Very easy to find our latest videos, commentary. Subscribe to our newsletter, daily commentary, YouTube channel, all right there on the front page for you. Makes it very simple. Realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hi, Lance Roberts here. If you're like most people, your 401k plan represents the bulk of your retirement assets. And unfortunately for many, managing your 401k plan can be difficult. There's so many choices, so many things to consider. With just a quick email, a couple of questions, you can put RIA Advisors to work for you managing your 401k plan. Get started right now at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, or simply call our toll-free number, 855-RIA-PLAN, or again, simply online at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Fall items on their menu. One of the big hubbubs there has been uh, veggie sausage. Everybody's like, why the hell do I go to Cracker Barrel for veggie sausage? <laughs> no. I mean, but, but they did get fried pickles on the menu. So we're good, right? We'll forgive that you got, you know, that's close to a vegetarian dish, right? Just fry a bunch of pickles. Sure. Yep. You're just converting cucumbers to pickles and then frying them up. Love that, right? That's awesome. <laughs> Throw a little ranch dressing on it. Larapin good. good. Exactly. But uh, yeah, the, the veggie sausage, you know, Morningstar actually does have very good veg vegetarian sausage. If you are a vegetarian, Morningstar has very good vegetarian sausage. So it's I not all bad. I did not know that. Yeah, you should try it. And black bean burgers aren't bad either. <laughs> so they will give you gas, though. I'm just telling you oh, that. Oh, thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> You've been forewarned. <laughs> if you don't like your wife, get some black bean burgers. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yummy. Yeah, <laughs> Jackson Hole coming up right around the corner actually starts today. And that's the, as I said, the annual confab of central bakers. They all fly in on their private jets, et cetera, and, you know, come here to expand their carbon footprint and 
um, you know, dictate uh, monetary policy for the entire globe as it stands. And again, you know, the big concerns right now is not just domestically, but internationally is inflation and weak economic growth. That's going to be kind of the forefront of all this is, well, we got into this mess. How do we get out of it? And of course, the markets are hanging on to every word at this moment, you know, because again, what the markets are looking for is a reversal of monetary tightening, right? You know, how do we get back to zero interest rates and quantitative easing? Because that's what drives markets higher. So the entire market has been rallying over the last few weeks on this idea that we may be getting closer to a Fed pivot than not, particularly after we saw a little bit weaker inflation print um, in, the, in the last reading. Now we're gonna get another inflation print this month and we'll see how, you know, uh, sorry, next month, we'll see how the, the month of, of August was. But again, you know, inflation is going to come down here. But the question is, is does it come down fast enough to alleviate the threats on economic growth? That's the big question. This morning, uh, there was a very interesting um, article in the Wall Street Journal. And I tweeted out just a piece of commentary from it this morning. I'll just read you kind of the quote. And it was interesting because it's talking specifically about this inflation and, you know, Fed President Bostic out this morning. We'll talk about his comments as well. Central bank. This is from The Wall Street Journal. Central bankers worry that inflation may transition to a new lasting reality. Central bankers might lift interest rates higher and for longer than in recent decades, which could result in weaker economic growth, higher unemployment and more frequent recessions. That certainly doesn't sound like a Fed pivot at all. So, again, this is kind of a hot debate with markets. Michael, welcome to the show this morning. So, yeah, so today we kick off the annual confab. Interesting uh, Fed President Bostic out this morning saying, you know, we're, we're not really close to a pivot at this point. <laughs> so kind of, kind of right. in the short terms. Yeah, I think that's fair. And actually, two of my last three articles, Lance, have been about this concept that inflation may be a lot more persistent than kind of what the market is expecting. And one reason for it is this what's called a price wage spiral. And that's where employees become emboldened to ask for raises and they can get raises because they're in hot demand. And we're starting to see some signs of it, but I, I think what's driving the Fed is that the BIS and the BIS is the Bank of in International Settlements and they're considered the central bank's bank. They're, they're kind of the grand poobah of the banking central banking world. They put out a, a, a white paper about a month ago saying that this is one of their biggest concerns. And there are some beginning signs that there is a price wage spiral. So employees ask for wages, they're grant, uh, ask for raises, they're granted it, they make more money, they spend more money, the company then raises, raises their prices and it just spirals up and it can be, it can result in entrenched higher inflation. And then the second one is more to do with what we're seeing in Russia and China, that we are definitely going towards a deglobalization trend. We know that we have to, we just saw it with the, uh, in the inflation reduction uh, bill which doesn't really reduce inflation, but that's a different story for a different day. <laughs> but but what it does do is it onshores some manufacturing that was abroad. So we have to bring back chip production 
we have to bring back some pharmaceutical production and other key industries that this nation relies on. I think one thing we found out during a pandemic is we can't rely on other countries to supply us with some of the most important goods that we consume and that we need, not just consume that we enjoy, but consume like medicines and you know, some technologies that are very important for our security and our health. So what did globalization brought this country for 30 years, deflation, disinflation. We, we were able to buy cheaper goods abroad, mainly from China, but many other countries too. So as you bring production back to the US, it's gonna cost more. We pay our employees a lot more than most of those other countries. We have more regulations, higher taxes. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's probably a good thing to bring it back to the U.S. It's more jobs. It's it's putting those key production of those key goods back where we have access to them. But it's going to come at a cost, and that's persistently higher inflation. So I think the Fed has their eye on both of those. And, you know, this isn't to say we're going to stay up here at 7, 8, 9% inflation. But I think what the Fed's really worried about is that we are going to get stuck somewhere in the three to six percent range. And that's that's problematic for both the Fed and a market that thinks that once this pandemic supply demand imbalance goes away, we're going back to one and a half, two percent. Right. And that's and that's kind of interesting because as we were as uh, you know, the Wall Street Journal interviewed Raphael Bostic this morning. And one of the interesting questions they asked him was, is, you know, they said, uh, you know, so that, you know, do you think you can get that kind of much vaunted soft landing scenario in the economy? And, you know, he said, so this is his response, quote, softer. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll we'll have to see when landing actually happens. But, yeah, I think I think that the trajectory to the economy is actually going to be hopefully it'll be smooth and steady in some sort of negative direction, but not new, not too negative. You know, so that just kind of beating around right. the bush a little bit is like really saying, I don't know, but we're hoping that maybe we don't crash the economy this time. Unfortunately, you know, history's not been real kind where, you know, the Fed has been hiking rates and tightening monetary policy. You know, outcomes have, have never been really kind of that soft landing scenario. It's always been something a bit worse. Right. Right. And I think the market. So 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 the, the big question I think that everyone wants to know is, well, how does the market set up for this? What can surprise the market, both in a positive or negative way? And I think in a very short term, the market is well set up for the Fed. You know, markets pretty close to being priced for three quarters of a percentage rate hike, which is on the aggressive side. So I think the market is kind of set up for a hawkish Fed, a Fed that's going to say that we're going to fight inflation, that that's our number one goal. And um, so, you know, and the market has dropped decently over the it rallied yesterday. It may be up a little bit today, but it did take a few per, a couple percent off recent highs. So I think the setup is OK. I, I think it's kind of it, it's fair. Now, the Fed could certainly come out more aggressive and say, we're not just going to stop, we're going to keep going, um, or something with QT. You know, they're going to, I think they're going to clarify QT. Uh, and QT, quantitative tightening, goes up to $95 billion in September. So they may quantify that, how long they're going to do it, what they're going to do. Are they going to sell securities? Are they going to introduce some other way to do QT? 
But I think where the market is off base is in thinking that inflation is kind of like a Mount Everest, where it's kind of shaped like a triangle, where inflation is going to go up and it's going to come straight down and we're going to start at the base and we're going to end at the base. And I think the concern is that, again, it's going to be persistent. And as such, when we look at Fed funds, it's going to look more like a Mesa, not like Mount Everest. So they're going to they're going to bring Fed funds up and they're probably going to stall at some point, you know, wherever that rate is, two and three quarters, three and a half, maybe four percent. Who knows? But they're going to stall there. They're not going to pivot. They're going to keep it there. They're going to try to do QT as long as they can. So I think in the longer term, the market's offsides and thinking that they're going to that that everything's going to just revert back to normal. Mm -hmm. But in the short run, I think the market's prepared for Jackson Hole, barring very hawkish or dovish statements from the Fed. So it'll definitely be interesting to see how Powell kind of walks the line, so to speak. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, what one thing Rafael Bostic said this morning, and it's a very interesting article in The Wall Street Journal. It's an interview uh, with Rafael Bostic. It's, it's rather long, and they ask him a lot of questions, and he goes into a lot of explanations. But one thing he says is, is that, you know, he's looking at employment, which has been very strong. Um, he is seeing some softness in, you know, some of the wage, you know, negotiation pressures. In other words, he's talking to a lot of the regional, you know, kind of businesses in his sector, and, and he's saying that, you know, the, the businesses he's talking to, they're saying, well, you know, the, the, the demand for higher wages is starting to slow down. In other words, uh, employees don't feel like they have as much of a bargaining power as they used to uh, when they were flipping, you know, jumping jobs, you know, from one side to the other. So, you know, as employment gets back to full employment, it makes sense, right? It's just, you know, I really don't need you, but, you know, you've got some good skills, so maybe I'll hire you. But, you know, the, the ability to, to bargain um, is, is kind of going away. And, and that's, you know, we saw that with the Waterhouse Coopers survey. We talked about this on Tuesday. 50% of companies right now are looking at either laying off workers, restructuring work staff, or hiring freezing altogether. So that's going to start to limit those wage increases. But one thing Rafael Bustic said, he says, inflation is going to be the last thing that you see moving in the economy. So in other words, a lot of other stuff has to move first before you really start to see that inflation number come down. We'll talk some more about that after the break. Don't go away. Be right back. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a para group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. So just on the break, uh, 
Brent played a promo talking about we were discussing encyclopedias on the show one day that when I was growing up, you know, they only we didn't have iPhones and Google and all this. So if you wanted to know something, you had to go look it up. And so in our house, we had a full set of encyclopedias and a subscription to National Geographic. So we had bookcases full of National Geographics. And that's what we read growing up, right? And so we were just the, the we were talking about back then, and what the promo was about was this mm. large fact of useless knowledge. Anyway, I just I just was curious um, if anybody was actually still printing encyclopedias anymore. Can you can you go buy a set of encyclopedias in printed form? And the only people, the World Book Encyclopedia is the only. This is according to Google. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to look it up on Google because I didn't have an encyclopedia handy. The World Book Encyclopedia is the only general A to Z print research source still published today, and you can acquire a full set for $999. You know what's going to happen now? You've done that search. Uh -huh. All these encyclopedia ads are going to show up in your screen. Uh, I know, but I'm, I'm logged into your website, so it's actually going to be on yours. <laughs> <laughs> Brent's going to get home and get Amazon. I, I saw you were searching for encyclopedias today. There'll be three encyclopedia salesmen at my front door. <laughs> exactly. Let me know how that works out for you. Uh, anyway, just I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. And, and do you remember in high school, if you had a right or junior high, you had to write a report on something? Yeah. You open up that encyclopedia and reword it. I know. Well, no. And, and exactly. Right. I mean, you didn't want to plagiarize it, but that's how you did report. But you, you, but you, you at least had to go and open it up. I mean, I watch my kids, you know, do, you know, work for school and they just go to Google and look it up and they just copy and paste into Word. I didn't even oh. have to write it down, right? I mean, at least if you were having to write it, yeah. even though you were transcribing it, you were still learning it by having to rewrite it, right? right? You had yeah. to, you know, at least do that part of it. My dad told me once when he was in Rice University, he had a, my, my dad was, you know, uh, a tennis professional. So he was, he went to Rice and he was, playing playing tennis through rice and 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 uh, so part of, but while he was there he had to get a degree in something so he right. got a, a degree in, in biology he was a biology major which he never taught biology so I'm really not sure why, <laughs> why he got a biology major but anyway he had a big you know biology exam coming up he had been on a tournament and and wasn't able to study and so he stayed up all night long writing crib notes for this test, right? And and then he went and took the test and he didn't need the crib notes because he had learned it all by writing right, it yeah. you know, all night long, you know, writing yep. these crib notes, he learned all the material. So, you know, there there is a there is a value to actually writing stuff down. A because, mechanical connection to your brain. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and you know, just copying stuff out of Google and dumping it into yeah. a uh, into a document doesn't really Copy teach and you paste, much. Don't hack it. And as stupid as my kids are, explains a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> Copy paste is not as good as rewriting. That's exactly. right. Anyway, all right. Speaking of copy paste, that's been the Fed as of late. You know, copy paste material from you know one speech to the next, and it doesn't seem to really change. One thing that that I thought was interesting is they really focus on two signs of strength in the economy. Uh, the first is employment, and they go, well, employment's been really strong here, and, and and you know we've had a lot of employment, and it's interesting because when we talk about strong employment. All that's happened is we've just now recovered all the jobs that we lost during, you know, we fired all these people during the economic shutdown because we were shut down, didn't need employees. And so here we are two years later, we're, we're touting these strong employment gains, but they're not really gains. They're actually just recovery. And, you know, we're not creating new jobs. We're just putting people back into the jobs we had before, right? So that's, that's one thing that they point to is like, oh, the jobs recovery is really strong. 
that may not be the case. We've now gotten back to, you know, having all the jobs filled that we had before, which, but the question is, do we need to create new jobs in this environment? Are we going to, do we, do companies need to add more employees? Do they need to expand their base? And then the other, the other strength indicator is the housing market, which has been exceptionally strong. And there's a lot of things that suggest we could be in another housing bubble um, price-wise. And you take a look at what's been going on with house flipping and a bunch of other stuff. But we're starting to see some signs of cooling in that indicator as well. In fact, there are some signs that we might be heading towards a housing recession on different, uh, on different fronts as well. So, Mike, you know, a couple of those signs of strength that the Fed's been kind of relying on is kind of health checks for the economy you know, maybe showing some signs of early weakness that, you know, may kind of undermine this whole idea that they can continue to hike rates and, and create this soft landing in the economy. Right. Well, right. The economy is definitely weakening, right? We had two quarters of negative GDP. But the, you know, the employment numbers are still very good, right? We may not have grown from where we were three years ago, but they're still very good numbers. The housing market somehow is still intact, even though we are seeing new homes uh, building and sales falling like a rock, mm -hmm. right? We know that it's very unaffordable to buy a house now. And at the same time, the inventory, at least of new homes is very high. So there are certainly some chinks in the armor regarding the economy. But again, I think a lot of this is inflation. If inflation was running one and a half, two percent, the Fed would be talking about easing right now. They may have already eased, you know, if inflation was not a problem. Right. So, so I think for the Fed, it's balancing inflation in the economy, but the inflation side of the scale has much more weight for them. They've been wrong on inflation for well over a year now. Through their actions, they were promoting inflation, not even knowing it through most of 2021. And now I, I feel like that's their number one mission. And what scares them about inflation is core inflation. So core inflation strips out all the items that we complain about, food and gas and utility bills and, and cars and things that we kind of see in our face. And the problem the Fed has and what the Fed's really worried about is that those core inflation numbers are still rising. They're still increasing. And they are slowly becoming a big part of the total inflation number. And they will be much slower to come off. So, yes, gas prices came off. Food prices should start coming off. But you have this core, this, this inflation base that's going to keep rising. And I think that's what concerns them is that inflation kind of comes down to that core per, uh, component. And it just kind of levels out or just starts slowly dripping lower, not 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 one, two percent a month lower. Mm -hmm. Like I think, you know, a lot of people seem to be expecting. Well, and that's the other problem. You know, and, and again, we kind of go back to this, you know, issue of the effect of monetary policy, which is and even uh, Rafael Bostic in his interview with The Wall Street Journal, he made this comment, which is something we, we tend to forget is that there's a big lag effect to monetary policy. Right. Um, it can run, you know, we talk a lot on the shows like, you know, it's about nine months on average, but it can be like six months to 18 months. I mean, it can, because it, it depends on what's happening in the economy. And, you know, so there's this lag effect. So the 75 basis point hike that the Fed did in June won't even show up until January of next year in, in the economy at the soonest. 
could be even later than that. So, you know, the big risk the Fed runs here is that they keep hiking rates and backloading, you know, this tighter policy at the same time the economy is already starting to, to struggle here. There's an article out this morning. At least 20 million households, or about one in six American homes, are behind on their power bills as soaring electricity sparks, uh, soaring electricity prices spark what is said to be the worst ever crisis in late utility payments. And this is according to Bloomberg, um, citing the National Energy Assistant Directors Association. Uh, Naida said that electricity prices had increased significantly since 2020. After a decade of stagnation, the steep rise has resulted in billions of dollars in overdue power bills. Um, you know, you know, one thing that people tend to pay, and this is, you know, one of the things that, you know, we talk about on the show when we talk about municipal bonds um, as an example. So if we're out looking to buy a municipal bond for a client, you know, one of the things we really like are muni bonds that are tied to power, water, sewer, those type of things. And the reason is that people pay those things. <laughs> you know, you want to have power, you want to have your sewer, and you want to have your trash taken away. So those are, are you know, pretty much things that people will always pay because they want their power to stay on. And so when you start seeing households behind on electric bills, that tells you there's a lot of other stress in the household. In other words, they've already cut back pretty much everywhere else they can cut back, and they still can't pay their power bill. And Lance, I think, uh, you know, this is getting this could potentially be a much bigger problem when we're sitting here in December, January, February, uh -huh. when it's much colder out. The price of natural gas is now back to 2008 levels at roughly 10 bucks in the futures market. And that's going to just force electric bills higher, especially again, if it's cold. And we, you know, especially up here in the northeast and the north northern part of the whole country that could really start crimping. So it's very concerning to hear about these problems now, you know, in August. Yeah. Uh, with much of Europe facing a cold winter, thanks to the war in, the U in Ukraine, various leaders are now sounding the alarm over the sacrifices people are going to have to make in order to maintain um, their survivability during the upcoming difficult winter. So EU policy chief Joseph Borrell uh, warned that EU populations will have to endure deep economic pain and severe energy uh, um, and a severe energy crunch when calling on the citizenry to bear the consequences. You know, that doesn't sound like a great position to be in heading into winter. And it certainly is going to if that is that is the case. Right. Forty percent of corporate profits in the U.S. come from what we send overseas. So if Europe is about to go into a major crunch economically that they're going to have to endure as, you know, the, the EU policy chief has laid out, that certainly doesn't suggest robust earnings in 2023 for U.S. corporations. We'll be right back after the break. We'll talk about markets, earnings and the outlook, you know, as we get into next year and portfolio positioning a bit. When we come back with Michael Leibowitz. Don't go away. news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. So this morning, so talking a little bit about, you know, as we go forward, uh, of course, Jackson Hole starts this weekend. The big topic, of course, is inflation and uh, is the Fed going to taper monetary policy? But part of that discussion has to really come back around to what markets are hoping for, which is markets are hoping for a pivot. And they're hoping that the Fed is going to back off their, you know, aggressive hike to fight inflation. One of the things that is going to be interesting to watch, and again, as I talked about just as we were ending up the last segment, was that 40% of corporate profits come from international sales. So our U.S. corporations selling stuff overseas, that has a big impact on corporate profitability because, you know, most companies are now global because we can ship everything immediately everywhere. Um, and that's, and, and you know, so those sales are dependent upon, on, of course, consumers in you know, other parts of the world, you know, continuing to buy, right? And so if something slows down overseas, then that's obviously going to impact the U.S. And this also kind of undermines, by the way, this whole idea that, you know, you don't want to be invested in the U.S., you want to start buying emerging markets. I would be very careful with that narrative for what, for what we're about to talk about. The development of the situation is very difficult throughout Europe. This is uh, Dr. Crew told the Belgian uh, broadcaster. In a number of sectors, it's really difficult to deal with high energy prices. We are monitoring this closely, but we must be transparent. In the coming months will be difficult. The coming winters will be more difficult. And even French President Emmanuel Macron on Wednesday went even further, warning at his first cabinet meeting after the summer holidays that the French should expect to make deep sacrifices and what he called the end of abundance. Now, welcome to socialism. Um, <laughs> you know, this is this is obviously, you know, if that if that is indeed the case, and you know, if we are in a situation where energy prices, we we're talking about just for the break, um, of course, you know, one in six American households now behind on electric bills. You know, if that is indeed the case, and that is the the way this continues to play out, you know, the war in Ukraine obviously not helping situations at all in terms of uh, you know lack of supply of of both you know gas and power and food and other stuff, you know, this certainly doesn't bode well for financial markets and economies, not just globally but domestically as well, and that obviously is going to have an impact on earnings, which estimates are still. You know, very high. You know, just in July, they were expecting $242 in earnings by the end of 2023 for S&P 500 companies. That was a record, by the way. That's now fallen to $214 by the end of 2023. That's about a 12% decline in earnings estimates for the end of 2023 in just really about a month and a half. 
So there's there's been a, a and we've been warning about this for a while now. And all of a sudden, Wall Street woke up and go, yeah, we're probably not going to make 242. Right. So <laughs> we're going to we're going to drop those. If we get into a recession, you're talking about earnings between 160 and 180 a share, probably somewhere in there. So, again, normal reversions in markets and earnings, you know, are between 30 and 50 percent in earnings declines and estimates. That's obviously going to make valuations a much more difficult uh, situation to, to, to deal with and prices are going to have to adjust accordingly. But if you get into a global recession, which is kind of what Emmanuel, Emmanuel Macron is talking about, as well as these other central bank authorities, et cetera, and this will be something that will be interesting to see if anything comes out of you know, Jackson Hole talking about weaker economic growth. That certainly doesn't bode well for earnings here in the U.S., which, is, of course, is what prices ultimately are based on. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, I think what Macron is saying is very real. The end of abundance. And that's deglobalization. Where did we get abundance from? We got it from China, primarily in the U.S., but Europe got a lot of it from Russia, all their natural gas. If you look at Germany's power supply, 30, 40, 30 to 40 percent of it is coming from Russian sources, be it natural gas or coal. So, you know, when you're when you're kind of looking at the situation, well, in the U.S., OK, why do we care about Russia, Ukraine? Well, Germany is is a huge manufacturer for for goods, for stuff that comes to the U.S. Uh, they're a massive chemical producer. And if chemical plants have to shut down one or two or one or two days a week to ration because the or they just shut down because it's not profitable to make chemicals anymore because of the price of natural gas or other power inputs, that's going to feed to us. So. It's not only going to be slower production, which is bad for the economy, but it's going to be higher prices. And there's your stagflation. You know, so so it's not we, we have to be very global in our thinking. <coughs> Sorry. And understand what's going on around the world and that we rely on so many other countries for goods and services that are either not going to be able to get them to us. We may not want it from them, like in the case of China or Russia, or they're just going to be a lot more expensive. And this is the new paradigm, at least for the short while. Russia isn't going away anytime soon. Our hostilities with China are certainly not going away anytime soon. And who knows what happens with Taiwan. So so when we start thinking about earnings, and again, I think you said, what, 40 percent of mm -hmm. earnings come from abroad? Think about that. That that's a big problem. If and and you know we're complaining about our natural gas prices, they're three to four times that in most of Europe. They're they're really struggling. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not winter yet. Yeah. So the 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 European economy is in trouble. And we saw. Look, the the euro the euro is now trading below parity. It's below one to one with the U.S. dollar. So. I, I guess the, the the good side of this is if you want to go to Europe, now's the time. It's on sale. <laughs> it's, a, it's cheap. Um, you know, uh, headline on Fox News right now, tackling inflation. Tailgaters are upset about the cost of tailgating this season. Um, you know, the, the cost. So if you like going to football stadiums and tailgating, it's going to cost you a lot more this year. So but but this is kind of one of the, you know, one of the issues. And, and as we you know talk about, you know, you know, the economies and, and global markets, it's a really tough situation now because, again, on one side, you've got clear evidence that you've got this kind of slowing global economy, which would argue for, you know, right, 
lower rates and a return back to QE. But at the same time, you're fighting with this high inflation thing, which says, well, I, you know, if I let inflation continue to run, that's just going to make things worse. And if I drop QE, if I go back to QE and drop interest rates back to zero, I'm just going to exacerbate the inflation push, you know, which is going to be problematic. So, you know, the, the Fed for the first time is potentially in a, a very difficult trap that if they I mean, it's kind of one of those, you know, make one wrong move and, you know, the, the consequence is not going to be great for markets. It, it's a very easy time to be bearish. Yeah. You have the global economy slipping, U.S. economy slipping, and inflation still very problematic. So the Fed can't be the Fed that we know and love from the last 30 years. And I think a lot of people are banking on that Fed. And, mm. you know, we'll see. That Fed may come back and they may, you know, show up with their white cowboy hat on and save the markets again. But 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 it's 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 hard not to be bearish. So so we have to stay balanced. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very easy to to be gloom and doom and the market's going to drop a lot. The economy's going to sputter and this and that. Uh, and there's plenty, there of that, are, look, there's, there's plenty of that commentary out. I got emails yesterday uh, from a guy that says, I just watched this guy on a podcast saying the Buffett indicator says the market's going to crash by 50% from here. Uh, you know, th there's a lot of that commentary out there, but, you know, fundamentals are, are one thing and technicals are another and the Fed is another because we haven't looked at fundamentals right. in 12 years. So, you know. It's right. all been we we and, it's, now, and the whole market now is pivoting on the Fed. What's the Fed going to do? Right. Now, Nothing to do with right. fundamentals. Now, now the flip side, Lance. So on the fundamental side, is there are companies, mm -hmm. companies that we're looking at, companies that we own that are cheap, yeah, that are very cheap. So yes, the markets may go down. What do you say, fifty percent? Right. But there are companies that are priced for that. There are companies that are priced for gloom and doom. So there are places to hide. There are places to find value. And look, and if, if it turns out to not to be gloom and doom, even better. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. And just, it, and this just isn't real, hide. Yeah. Real quick on that note, though, it just uh, I want to be clear is that just because a stock is down a lot doesn't mean it's cheap. Right. Peloton isn't right. cheap. Um, Zoom isn't cheap just because they're down 70, 80 percent from their peaks. Um, when you're talking about cheap fundamentals, you're talking about strong cash flows, high levels of free cash flows, strong returns on equities, you know, low debt to you know uh, income ratios, those type of things. Those those are companies that are fundamentally cheap, and that's vastly different than just being cheap in price. Right. And look, even those companies can get cheaper. Yeah. So we're not saying that just because you buy a cheap company that's a great fundamental company doesn't mean it's not going to go down. The, the, it, it, Probably will. <laughs> <laughs> Just maybe, hopefully not as much. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> All right. Uh, closing comment. Uh, anything you've got here before we wrap up this morning? All eyes on the Fed. Let's see how they kind of walk the line. Do they stray hawkish? Do they stray dovish? Yeah. Um, futures up this morning a little bit. As, as Mike says, all eyes are on the Fed right now. Dow is pointing up about 100 points at the open. Uh, S&P's up about 22. NASDAQ's up about 86. Uh, strong sectors this morning are, are kind of looking to be, you know, a little bit in the financials. Energy's pointing up a little bit this morning. Um, of course, oil prices have been creeping back up, $95 a barrel for oil prices. Uh, interest rates have been moving back up on the 10-year Treasury. We're about 3.1% as bond traders are positioning for a hawkish surprise out of the Fed. So we'll see who's right, markets or the bond market, you know, stock market or bond market. We'll see who's right. 
Um, all right, that wraps up the show for today. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. We revamped the homepage to make life easier for you. Uh, when you go there to the homepage, our, just our most recent commentary right there at the top of the page. Easy to find subscriptions to our newsletter, our daily market commentary, our YouTube channel. You can subscribe right there. Make it really easy. Um, of course, if you have any questions or comments, right at the top of the page, just as a box to ask questions. So we're always happy to answer them for you. Realinvestmentadvice.com. That's where you get started with everything uh, about your money and your research. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow. It's a rich man's world.